You're listening to the Practically Pastoring Podcast, where we want to help pastors and church leaders share ideas, become better shepherds and leaders, and have a good time with friends. Welcome back to the Practically Pastoring Podcast. My name is Frank, and I am glad that you are here. Everyone is here, even our adjunct professors. Everyone is in the room, and we are so stoked that everyone's here. First off, up in Baltimore, Maryland, we got Jeffrey Simpson. That was a one-week joke, bro. No, I'm bringing it over. Down (laughs) in uh, Sumter, South Carolina, Mac Powell. I mean, WRP. Hello, hello. (laughs) Yeah, down in Florida. uh, Was that Chick-fil-A sandwich or a McDonald's chicken sandwich? Uh, That is a steak and shake steak burger. Uh, Born and raised in normal Illinois, just like I was. I'm Andrew Larson. Andrew Larson, and not in the same room with him, but the music's over, so just keeping the energy. Uh, Timothy Miller. Hey, 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 still here, and no music behind me. Yeah, so uh, how's everyone doing? How was everyone's uh, uh, weekend on Sunday? Guys, I had a blast yesterday, and I have to tell you why, because you're going to join me on this. I'm not asking you. I'm just. It's just going to happen. Uh, a local pastor buddy reached out and said, hey, can I can I borrow a Lakeview shirt next week? This was a week and a half ago. He said, I want to I want to wear the shirt while I preach, and I want us as a congregation to pray for Lakeview Church. And so naturally, I felt guilty immediately and said, well, can I have a Sunrise shirt too? So we did a t-shirt swap Sunday. I never preach in t-shirts, but I will make an exception for this. So we preached in each other's church's t-shirt, but before we preached, we actually plugged each other's church's. And then spent, I think ours was like five to seven minutes uh, in specific prayer for them. He actually gave me prayer requests and we grouped up and it worked really, really well. It was a huge win. I've got a ton of great feedback from it. So we're going to do it again next month. Andrew Larson, uh, who just ordered some new shirts, we will be t-shirt swapping. I think we'll do it post Easter, Andrew. How's that sound, buddy? That sounds like a plan. I'm ready. Dude, two thoughts. if you guys are in, let's let's let's. I'm thinking one a month until let's I run do it. pastors. Dude, two thoughts. The way yep. you responded to your friend is the like pastor equivalent of you do an event at your church and people show up and do the free thing, and then they're like, "We'll definitely be there on Sunday." You know, the like the, <laughs> the, the like guilt will be their attendance. Hundred yeah. percent. And then number two, did you name the secondary issues that if people don't like about your church, they should go to their church for like? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> this is where they're better than us. And if this is an issue for you, Pato Baptist, yeah. you might want to check they, out Sunrise. They, they have a male only <laughs> leadership model. There you go. Whereas see? Lakeview has some female elders. So, you know, you got to balance. Be- yep. Yeah. So, you know, you got to figure it out between the two churches. But sure. at the end, you should nice. just put a, pe- put a piece of paper up and say, so we're redoing the roles today. I'm going to put their church role here. Ours is here. Just <laughs> yeah, sign right. up, make the call. I, I did in first service say, if you live closer to them, I, I'd encourage you uh, to, to check them out, which was something I've never done and felt awkward saying. Uh, but he he has actually done the same for us. And another church in the area has done the same too. And we've act, we actually have three families come from another church when their pastor told them, you're driving too far. It's pretty legit, it's man. kind of cool. That's like pretty that. cool. Yeah. like that. Yeah, we had a gr- pretty good Sunday yesterday. Uh we're back up above like the 40-ish number for us, so um, I don't keep super-duper track of it. Although I did just figure out something on Planning Center like before we started recording that I'm excited about for attendance, for tracking like if someone hasn't been there for a few weeks so I can know to you know reach out if something's going on. 
Um, but yeah, we had a new family show up with like three kids. So that like doubled our children's church immediately, which was really fun. Um, not quite doubled, but you know, it was a nice bump, a lot of energy in the building. Um, I've noticed over the last three weeks that are like everybody serving on a Sunday, the average age has dropped by about 10 years. So that's, that's pretty cool. It's like, you know, the younger generation seems to be kind of stepping in and taking things over. So yeah, we, uh, I think we've wrapped up Ruth. Um, I planned on doing it for another couple of weeks, but I actually am planning to do a couple of weeks of talking about um, the way the church has thought about like war and peace because of what's going on in Ukraine. So people have, I've had a few questions, so I figured, hey, you know, maybe we'll address it for a couple Sundays and talk about the history of the way the church has thought about things. So, um, but yeah, it was a pretty good Sunday. I had, had a good lunch after. Um, it's just one of those Sundays, you know, you ever have those Sundays where you feel like everything you thought you were going to be prepared for actually worked and you didn't have any like emergencies happen or like, oh no, I have to go do this. It was one of those Sundays yesterday where like, I actually was pretty prepared for things and didn't like forget other than with the exception of, I forgot to put new batteries in my mic pack and in the middle of the sermon, the pack died. But thankfully, the new batteries were like one step away from me on the platform. And, I, and in the moment that it died, I remembered, oh, yeah, I, I meant to put batteries in. So I just did it right then. But other than that, it was a real smooth Sunday. It was fun. Jeff, I've got a question for you. Since you and I are the uh, most similar in size churches, how big and is And in size, your... I think. <laughs> I, was, I was hurtful there. Whatever. Wasn't sure uh, where you're going with that, but go for it. Uh, the, what, what percentage or, or how many people are in your praise team? The reason I'm asking is we have consistently eight people on stage. Um, when we have like 73 people in person. Um, yesterday it was, yesterday was three of us. Okay. Acoustic guitar, djembe and vocal. Well, me playing acoustic and singing a guy playing, sorry, not djembe, cajon. That was a early 2000s throwback, though. Remember all the djembe's everybody had? Oh, I uh, remember. Acoustic guitar, vocal for me, cajon and vocal, and then one other singer. Okay. And that's it. I'm and just, like I, yesterday, we only had one person in the in the sound booth running sound, lyrics, and live stream. I don't want so. to say to our praise team, hey, y'all, we, let's get a rotation going. We don't need all eight of you at once, but 90% of the time, all eight of them are there together, which is great because you're like, oh, the place is kind of empty, and then I stand up to preach, and it looks full. Because they've all gone and taken their seats, but it's a touchy subject, especially I feel like in smaller churches where where there's more of the vibe of like if they want to serve, they should be able to serve. Mm-hmm. It can be especially with musicians speaking as a musician, we're a little touchy about it, and we can uh get a little get a little hurt over things we shouldn't get hurt over if somebody says, "Hey, uh maybe you should only sing <laughs> twice a month and not every week you know it, it inevitably immediately goes to like what you don't like my singing. Well, and like, nope, the, just the trying to them, have a rotation here. The eight of them have literally been playing together since before I got there. So for five plus years, that has been the the praise team. So it's not like they're you know more people are showing up with their tambourines and expecting we get plugged in. It's just when I got to the church and there were forty people there, there were nine people on the praise team. One of the ladies moved to North Carolina, so I I was just curious as to what percentages were thanks for making yeah. me feel bad we have a small well, team well since they're probably lift- listening safety harbor worship team please divide it in half and figure it out all right 
Uh, hey, Dunbar, how was your how was your weekend? Uh, my weekend was fantastic. I um, a church that I interned at as a youth pastor back in like '07 called me to be the speaker at a conference they were doing. So it's Charleston Baptist Church having a conference at Myrtle Beach. So the whole weekend I was uh, conferencing it up. Which, you know, if you've done the conferences, you know, it's a whole different way to do like student ministry. I will tell you, this is kind of cool. Um, you know, like most conferences that are a weekend thing, usually it's like four sessions, you know, and this one still was. It's just all three of the final sessions were on the same day. So like it's definitely uh, doing three different sermons in one day. That was I was, I was actually kind of cool. Like it was a, it was a fun, like especially because it was on the purpose of the church, you know, so they all, it would, the, with them being so close together, you were able to be like, so two hours ago, we were talking about this and connect it really neat. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, it was a really good weekend and the students, man, it was cause I've been out of that world for a couple of years now. And it was just so fantastic to just see that like untainted by the world passion. You know what I'm talking about? If you've ever been there where they're just singing, they love Jesus. And you're like, man, this is, this is great. And the vulnerability that that's often there with students just be willing to ask you questions that other people would never ask because they don't know you're not supposed to ask it, quote unquote, you know. Um, so it was, man, it was a great weekend. I had a good time. I preached this weekend and uh, it was fun. I uh, got to to do the the circuit here at, at my church, preach three times. And uh, I uh, we are I don't think we've talked about this. So we're in it. We've been in this new series now for four or five weeks now. We're doing like a survey of the New Testament. And so we're just kind of doing like high level, big picture of every book of the, the New Testament. And we probably sit in like bigger books for a little bit. But I got to do the book of Titus, the letter of Titus. And that was fun. Uh, kind of just sitting in there and and explaining why why we're talking about Titus and the importance of Titus and things like that. And and it was fun. I felt it was a little bit more of like me just going through the text word for word as opposed to like kind of preaching. But it was a lot of fun. I actually have a question. Um, because, uh, uh, you guys have, um, uh, maybe, uh, I know like Andrew, you sit down when you talk, so it's a bit more, it feels a little bit more personal. Yeah, I do. Do do you guys, do. do you guys, um, have any like, um, not call and response, but like in your sermons, do you talk to people in your sermon, in, in your congregation? Like, is there ever like a time where like you ask a question, you actually want feedback from the, from the from the congregation or is, is when you're preaching, they're quiet. You just talk. This is my time people. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, I do actually. I, I have gotten a little less formal over the years here. I think I'm just like more comfortable and I will, you know, make little comments. I never plan them, but, um, other than I think once or twice over the last five years, I've done like a specific Q and a moment in, in a sermon. But I would say ninety percent of the sermon is is a you know a monologue. I don't I don't go for back and forth, back and forth a lot. Although I've seen it done really well. It's a little bit tricky with our online world too because it yeah almost yeah. almost alienates our people online. It's hard for them to really hear or understand what's happening in the room. But there have been times where I've asked for a response or called a response or. Um, two weeks ago, we went through John three sixteen, and it was really fun. So I had everyone recite John three sixteen. I brought some kids up on stage, and I said, "Just recite it in the translation you grew up memorizing it." And it was probably seventy percent King James, so it was really really funny. So I made a comment about that. But for the most part, it's really tough to do that style of communication. 
especially people are responding to you and you don't realize that people are about to start responding to you and they start talking about this volume in the middle of the service. That happens sometimes as well. I was in a service one time where the pastor actually started getting heckled. Is that really in the scripture? That was... That's not real. That happened real? That happened (laughs) in a little Baptist church Uh, in Clarendon County. I was in there and the pastor was having tension with his congregation. And finally, one of them was just like, I don't even think that is even in the Bible what you're saying. Like, I was like, I was like 12. I was like, you could do that. That's kind of cool. But like for me, I I had a guy walk up at the end of a sermon and be like, can I share something? And I was so new at this church that I was like, "Uh, okay. From the mic, like on stage? Yeah, he came up front and I just, I just. He, it was just him like sharing about how meaningful something was. It wasn't really like for or against the sermon, but oh, it was well, just real, good. real awkward. <laughs> well, I know for me speaking back and forth, it really depends on my context. Like this past weekend, I was at the youth retreat. There's like 80 students there. I would pull them into illustrations. I'd be like, hey, what's your name? All right. So let's say Sarah was doing this. You know what I'm saying? And that translated really well in that room take Tim into account when it comes to like, if there's an online stream, what's happened before is you just got like a Google phone number and I have let people text into me during a service. Hey, right now I want text me. What are some of your greatest fears? And then they're texting me and I just pull my phone out. You know, my greatest fear is hearing Dell preach or whatever they're saying, you know, and uh, I would, I have used that because that way people online can even participate in my service. Um, that I'm preaching uh, because it translates across that way. So I have used that technology before, but yeah, the whole um, call and response thing, I think it really depends on like your audience that you're at. Uh, One of our services is a bit more, whether it's call or response or regardless, they're more responsive to the message. They just like talk and, and they're more audible in what, than, than any other service I've ever been a part of. But, um, uh, I, I have this like concluding thoughts where I talk about how, um, how our, you know, our God, our faith should result in a certain kind of, of, uh, living and, and how we respond and relate to others. And I was using this illustration about how, when you go to Culver's, um, and the 15 year old kid messes up your order, you're going to show grace to that kid because God has shown grace to you and your mistakes or whatever. And but when I said, but then you're also going to get a free order of cheese. And the guy said, because, uh, "Was that really in there? I don't know." <laughs> no, so I said, "So after church, you might be going to Culver's." And someone said, "Oh no!" And I, <laughs> I thought I was like, like they knew I was about to make it personal, and I think that person was like, "Oh no, what are you trying to say about this?" And then I and then I stopped. Don't and you I just dare! Said, <laughs> and then I said. Well, we have to go to Culver's because Chick-fil-A is closed. And that caused a big like laugh in the room because obviously it was a break from the sermon. Um, but like I was just curious as like when you hear someone like respond to your message, does it like does it cause you to trip up from your speech or your, your sermon? Or or do you you take it in stride or do you even respond to it sometimes? So Frank, I feel like I, you wanted to share that story just so you could plug your amazing off the cuff joke that landed really, really well. And that's okay. <laughs> I'm actually proud of you and I'm glad. Well done, sir. It'll be on IG tomorrow. It was a great off the cuff joke. Uh yeah, it'll be on IG in a couple of days. No, um I do think I do think though sometimes like if I've had most of the services, the congregation is pretty quiet. I will say when you have very responsive people in your crowd, even if it's just like affirming things, like you preach it, whatever, all that kind of stuff, it's kind of jarring. Like you kind of feel like you don't know what to do and, and you kind of feel like like 
like you can't always hear what they're saying because you're trying to say the next thing you want to say. And sometimes that can be like, are they are they trying to get my attention? Are they upset? <laughs> like, are they mad at me or something? So. We had visitors yesterday. There's three of them. Their jokes, their jokes, their names, no joke, were Mary, Terry, and Larry. And they were very much the amen, preach it, mm-hmm, that's what it says type, which is not the culture of our church. So that's always interesting, you know, and you're very, uh, you know, boring white suburbanites and <laughs> you're getting a whole lot of, mm-hmm, you know, and not only, not only was that it, but they, they were, uh, moving a whole lot during worship, but like in unison, they had like the choreographed moves together. You know, they were like swaying together and it was, you could just tell they were used to sitting next to each other in church. Yeah. Waves of mercy, waves, waves of grace of- everywhere I look, I see <laughs> yeah. your face. Oh man. So good. But that wasn't even the song. So it was, but yet the motion still fit. But yeah, if when you're not expecting it, it's a little bit jarring. Well, and like you said, it depends on your context. Like we have a pretty blended, like we have the quiet people and the people who like to talk in our service. So I've got to where I just love both of them, you know, because like the worst thing ever is when you're expecting people to talk and then they don't. Because now you're like, is what I'm saying falling on deaf ears, you know, well, or if a joke falls flat. Yeah, That's you're like, fun. oh my gosh. I um, I will say one time, I heard a pastor call out his congregation for doing that. Um, it's funny, I got all these pastor stories today. It was, it was Perry Noble. You remember that guy, right? Anyways, I was listening to a sermon one time, and people were going, he was saying his point, and people were going, mm, mm. You know, he goes, he goes, who am I preaching to a bunch of cows right now? You just sound like a bunch of cows. So they're going, mmm, mmm. And guess what? People quit doing it. <laughs> So it's like, nice. I don't think that went the way he wanted it to go, but oh, I guess it was distracted him. That is not good. No, yeah. that Pugnacious be... of him. <laughs> Very pugnacious. <laughs> um, well, hey, uh, it sounds like we had a great weekend. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll dive into some clergy cliff notes. So we have an article that came out over the weekend from the Gospel Coalition, and it's entitled, No, Christianity is Not as Bad as You Think. And it's an article written by Josh Howerton. So uh, Josh Howerton, uh, he's kind of newer on my radar as a pastor to follow, and, 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 and so far I've been following him on Twitter, and he has a lot of great stuff. Like, I just like his tweets. I like his kind of perspective. I think he's a pastor... So maybe one of you can correct me on this. I think he's a pastor out in California. Actually, he's probably in the bottom of this article. It says it. Um, he's in Dallas, Fort Worth area. Okay. Uh, and uh, he he had this like tweet that went viral where he just kind of showed that some of the assumptions that people have about Christianity is not as accurate based on data and like stats. And there was a number of them. And they were pretty interesting. And, and, and I, the way I assume this happened is that the Gospel Coalition saw that, asked Josh to make a blog post for the Gospel Coalition, and then now there's this article, the Gospel Coalition. But uh, here are some of the five stats that he says are the cultural narrative. I'll try to explain in a way so it makes sense. So the cultural narrative says that Christians aren't really pro-life. They're just pro-birth. And and the stats show that that's not necessarily true. Uh, Practicing Christians actually adopt almost at double the rate than non-Christians. Uh, 
Um, the cultural narrative says that Christians are sexually repressive and anti-sex, creating a toxic purity culture. And uh, the stats show that uh, highly religious couples tend to be more satisfied sexually in their marriage. Uh, the cultural narrative says that Christianity is emotionally repressive and bad on your mental health. And the stats seem to indicate otherwise. I know that was a stat going around that during the pandemic, the only people having better mental health were people who are continually connected to their churches. That was an interesting stat I remember uh, reading about. Number four, Christians don't care about the poor, only political power. And uh, they said that Christians tend to volunteer more and 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 give more uh, to help the poor than any other group. And then uh, Christianity is gender oppressive, a tool of the abusive patriarchy creates toxic relationship for women. And the stats show that women um, are great in Christianity. I guess I don't know how to, how to word that in a positive sense, but I, uh, I, there, there's a, there's a line here that says there's a massive gap between the perception of Christianity in the world and on social media and the reality of who Christians are and what they do. And so after reading that article or, or, or skimming through it, what are your thoughts on Josh Howerton's, assertions which is based on stats and and facts what what do you take away from this article i really like the overall tone of it because it's like today it's that when you go for shock value it's typically on the negative side and and we even at practically pastoring we're, we're guilty of this just because there are so many of those articles that are out there of just pastors doing stupid stuff so when you come across something like this it's almost shocking on the other side but it, for all the right reasons i don't i don't think he's just cherry picking stats i think he really is coming back to that one line here that there's a massive gap between perception and reality especially when it comes to christianity so i really appreciate the effort the thought behind it i i did take the time to share each individual stat from my personal um, instagram feed because i i thought it was really cool and it was just a different take coming from uh you know usually the noise is negative so to see something positive almost felt like a ted lasso move and, and i love that it felt great it does seem like in an era where uh the conversation of deconstruction and ex-evangelicals are kind of kind of the predominant voice on social media in the conversation of the church as well as obviously um we're hearing constant stories like just this past weekend it broke that um the hillsong guy had his own uh, kind of personal issues that he's getting in trouble with. Like you hear these constant negative things that you very rarely hear anything defending the church. And, and it's almost created a culture, even within Christianity, that if you defend the church, you're kind of like looked at as like a, an enabler or someone who is trying to hide something. Um, I was having a private conversation about this with another pastor and he was talking about how, you know, the church isn't perfect and the church needs to be held accountable and, and there needs to be like some reforms that are happening to stop some of these abusive and abuses and things that are happening in church. But let's not forget that the church, though she's imperfect, she's still the bride of Christ. And to talk slanderously about the church is to talk about someone, something that Christ himself died for. And we, we have to kind of make sure we're mitigating that in the way we talk about the church, not to say that we should be, again, if this podcast has said anything, we talk very bluntly and very clearly about some of the dumb things that the church has done. But I think that like uh, to not acknowledge a, the good or B disqualify some of the, the slanderous headlines would be also just as wrong. 
I like the Ted Lasso reference because there's a, I feel like there's always room for a good Ted Lasso reference, but it's also kind of like what the church has been saying forever. And it's good to have numbers and data to back up what we all know to be true. And is the church perfect? No. And are there scoundrels and, and messy things in the church? Absolutely. But overall, the church is accomplishing the mission of the church. And there's going to be rotten apples in every barrel, but the vast majority of churches are doing what God has called us to do. Yeah. And I think that there's actually, I would, I would love to see how that stacks up with all the people who have stopped church in the last two years. I feel like we've hauled out a lot of the people who may not be holding to biblical values. If the, at least in my culture being, I live in the South where it's very culturally Christian. Um, I think that this thing, it, it took a lot of people out of church who were just marginally Christian. So like the people who, uh, not all of them, cause like you just said, Andrew, church isn't perfect, but like there are a lot of people who are left are like, I've been giving money to this. Like my mental, like these things, um, my, my finances are tied to them. My belief about life is tied to them. My belief about gender and to see that we are honoring those things. And what I took this article is, is, it's taking back that one thing we're often told the most. We're just a bunch of hypocrites, you know, because like each one of these points is points that people use to try to, in their own anecdotal way, point out the hypocrisy of the church. And now granted, Christ is our standard for perfection. So we're still hypocrites to that extent. But like to see this is like, well, actually, I see this sanctification of the church in these data. And I just think that's that's fantastic. And also see how people are going to tear into this too. Like I, I share this on Facebook. I know some Christians right now who it is cool for them to bag on the church, you know, um, because if we're not bagging on it, then, you know, are we, and ultimately that comes from a place of, if we're going to be honest, I'm better than the church. So I got a bag on it because I'm the savior of the church and I'm, I don't want to be, you know, so I know that that's going to come, but like facts are facts. And I think that this is a really encouraging article. Anyways, Jeff? I was just going to say, I mean, I'm not surprised by this or worried about it, frankly. I, you know, I mean, the, Jesus told us this was happened. I was, you know, when I read this, I was thinking of uh, the text in first Peter two, um, where Peter bluntly says, uh, I'm going to read it to you. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak evil against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And then that's verse 12 and verse 15. He says, this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. So for me, my takeaway is like, yeah, I mean, most of the people that I know that are foster parents or adoptive parents are Christians. Are there some that are not? Of course. Um, is Does the church have problems? Absolutely. Could some people use this information as a way to minimize the real issues, potentially. But that doesn't mean that this information isn't true. But for me, the takeaway is just, we don't do these, Christians, we don't live this way for the sake of influence. We live this way because this is who we are and this is the way we live. We live a different, we, we believe in a different way to be human. We don't lit, We don't breathe the same air as the rest of the world. We're from another kingdom. So of course we're gonna do things differently. And of course this stuff is gonna be true. Whether or not people think it's good or not is irrelevant to me. If people think that, you know, the way that I believe is the most beautiful way to think about relationships and money and power and politics and all that stuff, whether or not they think that's beautiful, 
it is. It doesn't, you know, so so it does. It right. doesn't bother me one way or the other to hear. Well, the church is this or that. My encouragement to people when I hear that is, you know, why don't you come just be with us for a little while and see what we're really like. Um, and, and when you do that, you'll see that, you know, a lot of the stuff that you think is true about us is not actually true. We're not hating everybody and angry at everybody. We barely even talk about a lot of the things that are hot button issues because we're busy doing the other things that the church does. We love each other. We love our community. You know, we're doing good work. So my, I'm not worried about having a reputation in the world. Like that's just not, it's not a concern. I think this is real interesting and I think it confirms what I already knew to be true. But it doesn't – I mean, the church doesn't exist by gaining popularity in the world. So, Because like you just said, health is health apart from how you feel about health, right? I mean, I'm looking at one of these statistics. It's amazing. People who attend church have an 84% reduced risk of suicide. That's, that's incredible. A 29% reduced risk of depression. I mean, these are not small numbers. You yeah, know? but – and I so, think like um... – Taking a statistics class at Trinity College, which I'm not sure how my Bible college would rank in the top institutions for teaching math, but I uh, I do think I do wonder like the same put like how 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 you said Delmar that people can push back on this pretty pretty easily is like the suicide rate for LGBT uh, kids are really is really high and and they would probably rank institutions like the church to be uh one of the biggest reasons why you know what i'm saying now my pushback to that pushback would always be like the church is has a certain set of beliefs and understandings on how the world functions and if you're choosing to reject that then there's going to be a tension in your understanding on how to live and how and how to see the world versus how the church sees it and therefore, if you choose to remain living in that tension, then it, then it's of course it's going to affect your mental health. Of course, it's going to affect your view of the church because you are you are being your worldview is being challenged. And I'm I'm saying this very curt, like I don't know how to say this in a pastoral way right now because I'm just talking to friends right now. But like that's one thing I often try to figure out as a pastor, like how can when 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 someone comes to me. And their worldview and their perspective of how to live is so consciously against the way of Jesus, right? Like, how do I articulate to them the goodness that's found in the church, but it begins in the submission of their life? And and I don't know, I say this very candidly with you guys, because I think there's a logical reason why that's true, but I don't know necessarily, I, I, I'm still trying to figure out, I, obviously it's a case-by-case thing, but how to how to pastorally show them like, you need to submit even these deep desires that you have, whether it is to cheat on their spouse, whether it is to get an abortion, whether it is to live licentiously. Like, how can I, to, 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 I mean, that's the state of being a pastor, right? Convincing people to live for the Lord. That is, I think, uh, a, an issue of why people think these stats are cherry picking because they look at that, those things of the, of the ex-evangelicals, of those who are deconstructing and, 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 and obviously, it's not everybody, but I, I'm like wandering here. You guys get what I'm saying? No, I, I get, get what, what you're saying. saying. I think I can think of a couple people who I feel like if they would, in good faith, actually get to know me and the people in my church, they would have a hard time holding the views they hold of the church. But the reality is they've already decided that they don't want to be part of that and that they don't want that. And so they're going to find ways to be against it. And frankly, I don't know what there is to do 
for that, Frank, other than pray a lot. I mean, a lot. Pray for yourself that when you have interactions with them, you're loving and kind. Pray for them that God will change their heart. Because, I mean, we all know that we wouldn't be believing if God didn't change our hearts, too. So, you know, and such were some of you is the is the line I'm thinking of, uh, you know, where Paul names all these issues. And he says, and such were some of you. And I, I mean, for me, do I think that an article like this is helpful? I would say in my experience, it's helpful for maybe 5% of people who are convinced by statistics like this. The it's vast, helpful for Christians. Yeah, the vast if majority you- the vast majority of non-believers could care less about this. So I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. I'm not doing it so that they think I'm a spiritual person. I'm doing it because that's just what I do. But yeah, to your point and to Andrew's point, I, I look at this more as a something for believers, like it's an encouragement. It's like, cause the, our culture tells us every day how much we suck, but like, it's not that way. You know, like our culture has a completely different narrative in a lot of things. So for me, this was very encouraging. Like when I read this, I read this not as an evangel. Hey, we're not as bad as you think you should join us. I don't, I, I read it more like, Hey, guess what? Hey, you're told you're horrible all day long. You, you realize Jesus is still your King, right? Look what he's doing when he, when he's alive in your church. I got some data for you. So for me, it was really, really encouraging. I would say, too, one of the pushbacks I would have for folks if they – and I'm not saying this is you, Dell. I'm just right. – I'm taking it to its – I would – you know, if people are saying this is what I'm hearing all day from the culture, one of the things I would say is stop listening then. No, you don't fair. need to. You don't need to hear that. Like You don't need to hear – you don't need to listen. You don't get your identity from the world, so stop listening to the world. Spend, yeah, I think that's you know, where – so that's where you want to take it as a pastoring, like on the super practical lesson um, place, right? Because like what what do our congregants hear? Where where do they get their message? Right. Well, how, how many times have I heard from a congregant, oh, the – you know, let's go there. The, the mainstream media says this, blah, 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 blah. And then in the next breath they say, but the mainstream media lies all the time. So then my next question is, well, why are you – so just shut it off. Why you, listen to mainstream media? you don't need yeah. to watch that or listen yeah, to that. Yeah, yeah. If it's yeah. if it's destroying your soul and making you think you're a terrible person, when yeah. Jesus and the scriptures and the Holy Spirit are testifying to you that that's not who you are anymore, then just stop listening yeah. to it. Yeah. But I, I think I, there's I, there's a false narrative that, oh, well, I have to stay informed. You don't, though. You really don't. I was going to say, you know, one of the, the takeaways I think could be from this is, and this is just right where my brain's at. I was preaching on John chapter 9 yesterday, you know, the guy who was born blind, who Jesus made the mud and sent him. And then when he goes to the Pharisees, he's like, look, I really don't quite fully understand everything that happened. The man called Jesus, you know, there's this progression from the man called Jesus to the prophet, and then he calls him Lord and worships at the end of, of the chapter. But there's this gradual understanding that this man builds. And what we could use these stats and these numbers to encourage our people is like, you don't have to fully understand everything to realize that this is for you. You don't, like, you know, you can look at these numbers and like, hey, I want my marriage to be better. Hey, I want my sex life to be better. Hey, I want my kids to be happier and more well-rounded. But just because I don't quite understand the church's stance on LGBTQ plus issues doesn't mean that you should throw out the whole thing just because you don't quite understand that one part. Just because you disagree with the church on this does not mean that you should completely abandon the church because, look, there is benefit to the church. And I know that ultimately, as followers of Christ, we want fully-fledged, fully-developed followers of Jesus. But you don't become fully developed all at once. 
And I think these numbers are a good way to show people like, look, there's something real that is happening here. There's something tangible that is happening here. And it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, you know, to, to abandon the whole thing when you feel a little bit of tension within that thing. When you feel that tension, that's when you should be leaning in to understand it a little bit more because the proof is in the pudding and lives are being changed and God is at work. So why would you want to abandon that simply because you don't understand or necessarily agree with something? Yeah, I think I think a lot of people, if they, you know, Christians who see this and are like, oh, see, that makes me feel better. I think to me, underneath that is a desire to like people, you know, evangelical Christians are feeling like I'm not in the cool crowd anymore. Like, I, I feel like I'm getting pushed out of the like. The, the what's you know what's acceptable and what's in and I'm on the wrong you know the wrong side of history whatever that means and the thing is like you never were on you never were going to be on the in crowd nor should you have been in the world you're always going to be not part of this system not part of this kingdom so for me when I read this I'm I mean my first thought was like huh that's cool you know I'm going to just keep doing what we're doing then you know this I I already knew that this was true cool to see some stats the devil's advocate part of it in my head goes, if I was who I am right now and was doing everything I'm doing and believing everything I believed and all these statistics in an article came out and all these statistics were the opposite, how would I react? I would immediately go, yeah, but I doubt that, you know, this was survey was done the right way. And I doubt. Mm. So I can understand if people already have a presupposition against the church, they're going to look at this and doubt how the statistics were gained and all that stuff which is exactly what I would do if the stats said the opposite of what they say. All right, this is good. Uh, I, you know what's funny is I was actually worried that this article wouldn't lead to much discussion, and it led to some pretty good discussion, which I'm, I'm very happy about. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to dive into our main discussion. So uh, this uh, main discussion is actually a, a bit of a self-serving for me. Um, so at my church, uh, I am creating a new believers packet, basically. We want to kind of create something where if someone gives their life to Christ, we're going to either enter them into this system or hand them this packet and create like a several-week kind of journey where a person who says, I, I've given my life to Christ goes through like the very inception of what discipleship looks like, committing to the church, getting on the process to getting baptized, all that kind of stuff, joining a small group and all those type of things. And I was just curious from a formal or informal standpoint, what does your church do when someone says they've given their life to Jesus? You know, whether if you have a connect card or, or a little contact card in the seats and they say, I'm, I gave my life to Jesus today, or they just told you, you know, I gave my life to Christ. What has been your process, if there's anything formal, or what have you done or given to people informally uh, for folks who do that? I feel like this is an area we need to be so much better in as a church. Typically, I've just same sat with them, prayed with them, directed them to an elder or another leader, uh, guided them to a small group or one of our Bible studies. But I would love a formal process, something that you know maybe the elders and I could sit down and talk through and then say, hey, here's here's the very next step that we, that we're going to take with new believers or with someone who comes to us like that. Cause I feel like that's just one of those areas where, you know, it's kind of a 
take it and see, and it depends on the context and situation. But I, I'm definitely not opposed to something formal. I know the church that I grew up in actually did a really good job of that, as did a lot of Southern Baptist churches. They were really good about immediate next step follow-ups. And I think it's something we need to get better at. I was waiting for Frank to finish whatever he was going to make so I could have that. <laughs> With those great Epica, Epica's graphics oh, for already sure. in there, for man, sure. sign me up. No, I do I do think I mean, this might be a deeper conversation, especially in, I feel like in churches that have declined or that are aging, there can be like a sense where you don't expect there to be new believers. And I think that um, I think that maybe that's, you know, when I came, we had two baptisms the first year. And when I looked at the records, that was the first baptisms they'd had in like five or six years. So that's pretty crazy um, that, you know, you, you would almost get into a place where you don't even expect it to happen. And so when it does happen, it's like, um, what is it like when the fire drill happens in the office or the fire happens in the office and you know, they're running around, it's happening. Oh my gosh. You know, it's that whole, that to me, that's kind of the vibes that I've, I guess I've had in my head when somebody comes and says, you know, or, or we had somebody recently click the button on our website. I gave my, you know, I, I said yes to Jesus for the first time and it was like, Oh, what do I do? And that so was me. I was just messing with you. Oh man, come on, dude. <laughs> um, no, what, what I usually have done, uh, is I will, and this is where I would say like you, almost what you said, Tim, you know, if you're in a denomination, lean in uh, to a lot of the resources. A lot of denominations have great resources in this regard. Um, a lot of times you can get it for free as a church if you're in one. So in my denomination, we have some, you know, some pamphlets that I'm holding up here. We have a What We Believe. We have a baptism one. We have like a Who the Alliance is. So those would be some things. Uh, Crossway also has some good um, free, like, um, gosh, what are they called? When Attracts. But uh, they have one that's called How to Pray. And uh, that'll be something that I hand somebody. So for me, I think what I've come to realize in the last couple of years is the first thing that believe that a new believer needs to know is actually a couple of practices. It's not even I'm not even as worried about their beliefs. I know growing up in the church when I was in youth group, that was like the big thing. Well, you're a believer. Now you need to know this stuff. And I think that's true. But I for me am more convinced now that what a new believer needs to be discipled in is like. How do I actually pray? How do I actually like live this thing? And as the, as you're doing that with them, you're going to run into these theological issues of, oh, you know what? I believe in Jesus, but I still have this view of sexuality from before I believed in Jesus. What do I do with that now? And that's where the sort of theological training stuff comes in where you say, well, actually, this is how this works and this is how God thinks about this or, you know, whatever. So for me, it's it's definitely informal. I've never seen a formal process. Uh, I've never been at a church, I think, where there was like a for, super formal process. It's always been a little more relational. Um, and so that's how I've kind of always thought about it is like a person comes to faith. Uh, and pretty soon I'm going to start asking them about baptism, which is going to lead to other conversations. But mm-hmm. other than that, it's going to be like, here's how you pray. Here's, here's a Bible. If you don't have one, here's how to read the Bible. Um, let's start in the Gospel of John, those kind of things for me. Yeah, what you just said is key, man. It is not one thing. It is I know, holistic. That's why I said it, man. You know, yeah, exactly, right. Well, you know, scripture doesn't say go and make, you know, deci- go and hand out packets. You know, it says make disciples. And I love that it's like vague enough to where it's like, yeah, you there's some margin in that. Like when I personally became a Christian, some of you might have gotten this cuz it was super popular back in the 90s. 
It was called The Survival Guide. Y'all, y'all familiar with this? It's like this long book. Anyways, it was super like um, the thing in the Baptist world. And you would go through it with your mom and your dad. But you know something? I remember going through that. And I loved that my, specifically my mother, went through that with me. You know, because like I learned that like faith is something that you possess, but you share it, you know, you, you enjoy it with other people. So whatever part of a process um, that's involved with new believers, it should definitely have like other Christians attached to it, because if not, we're just saying good luck. And I think giving them, um, you know, that book, like to me, a resource, stop asking Jesus in your heart, because, you know, what you just said, Jeff, you don't need all the theology, but you got to have the gospel. You know what I'm saying? So like, um, but I think a good way to know objectively if your church is preaching the gospel and seeing actual converts and whatever is how many rebaptisms do you have? You know, because I, you know, in our culture, there's so many, and I can't, I, I literally can't tell you. I have, I could, I couldn't even go back and count how many times that a student came and got baptized because of something they did when they were at Awana or VBS because everyone else was doing it. And some pastor cleared them because they said the word Jesus and grace, you know? So now we have to like unpack all of that. So, you know, at our church, I'm just going to go ahead and concede to where you guys are. It's, it's not as robust as it should be. It's like, if you become a Christian, you know, they ask you the questions, then you get baptized. They do offer a class called a grow class. It's offered like once every whatever. Um, And it's good information, but, to what we've been talking about, it does not partner you with another believer. It does not give you any kind of community aspect after that. And and to the larger picture, I think one of the most important things we need to do when someone becomes a believer isn't to say, oh, here's all this new believer stuff. It's like, well, no, let's put you in the boat with all the believers. You need to be in Sunday school or a life group or some sort of group with other people who are mature, not just a bunch of other new believers. Like, you know, if I'm going to learn how to sail, you don't put me out in a dinghy by myself. You know, you put me on a sailboat with other like experienced people where for a lot of the time I might just be sitting there. So I think to me, that's one of the most important things that sometimes we often miss is we get them baptized and we check the box and we're, we give a pamphlet. Here's some life groups you might want to check out where it should be like, hey, I'll go sit with you in one, which one you're going to, you know, that that relational component, I think, is like so important. There's something maybe though you understand this is like there's something about multi-state churches that everything has to be very formal. And I think that there's this like desire to try to take that formality and make it more informal. But so like. If if you don't know this, if you're at a church of less than 200 people, the constant desire of mega churches is to be like you, with with way more uh, scopes and sequences and 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 uh, and uh, pipelines to figure out how to pretend we're small as we're a big church because so much art, so much of the desire is to make sure things feel personal because it's very easy to make things not feel personal. And the advantage of being a smaller church is. There's nothing not personal. Like even the whole conversation that Andrew had at the beginning about having eight people on the worship team. Like I like I think about that and I think about the discussion. Dude, this how... is the weirdest humble brag ever. Keep going. <laughs> this is not a humble Man, brag. Man, I wish I had such a small budget. Oh It'd be God. so much easier. 
I don't even know why I talk anymore. I'm just gonna be. A, I'm just I don't gonna even know everyone on our worship teams, man. No. There's so many people. I can't even remember their faces. Year I have to preach. I'm always wondering, oh. man. Oh, are all 38,000 oh, people man. gonna be resonating with this? <laughs> Frank was being so vulnerable. We just stomped on him because we're insecure. Do. Go ahead. <laughs> Did you guys see that that article that uh, you know Ed Setzer? I think he's like turned over his social media to a team. It's not actually him anymore, but Ed Setzer or whoever posts as Ed Setzer shared a church leader's article last night that was a repost from somebody else's blog um, two or three years ago. But it was like why being a small church is not a good thing, a bad thing, or you know to, to blame. It was as someone in a small church. It was a good read, but that's it's kind of what Frank is saying. So go check that out. Go to churchleaders dot com or follow whatever Ed Setcher thing because it's not him posting these days anyway. So Frank, you were saying like in big churches. In all seriousness, you're trying to systematize things in order to not let somebody fall through the cracks, right? A hundred percent. There's this desire to make sure that there's a system in place where people don't fall through the cracks or to be able to even acknowledge that someone is wanting to take that next step. And so we have these – we're trying to create these systems where, one, we can do that at scale. And and, and I don't want to give this impression that there's just like hundreds of people getting saved at our church every single week. That's not what's happening. There's people getting saved that I'm not even aware of. thousands. It's not thousands either. But like – but like for example, like one thing we are thinking about is somehow utilizing Mailchimp that has these like auto send things that you can schedule it out every single week. So someone opts in, and then in Mailchimp they send out like every single week an email helping them that comes from me, an email helping them kind of take their next step in their in their journey to following Christ and and sending Bible reading plans and things like that. But in the midst of that. We're going to schedule out uh, three handwritten letters from the campus pastor to those people along in that journey, plus scheduling like intentional meetings in that. So like we're, we're thinking like a 12-week process where a person says they give their life to Christ. And in that 12 weeks, we talk about Bible reading. We talk about spiritual practices. We talk about baptism. We talk about joining a small group, all those different things. And included in that is an opportunity to like me and me and them as a campus pastor having like intentional conversations about all their questions and all the things that maybe is confusing along the way. And so, I, you know, there's a lot of like abstract stuff happening right now and hearing you guys talk about it has, it has been, has been pretty helpful. I, what I don't want to do is just buy, you know, go to christianbook.com or whatever and, and buy like 20, you know, start here books and then just hand them to people and say, congratulations. Let me know when you want to get baptized. Like I want to do something a little bit more than that. I, I would I would guess there's got to be you know there, this is where planning center uh, workflows would be like so good, uh, so but it seems like you're more asking about the content of what's in the workflow, not so much how do I build a workflow because I think building a workflow I mean that like, like you said and I mean this in all seriousness bigger churches are really good at that you're really yeah. good at making systems, but in this case the question is what's in the content of that system. What's exactly. the first step that people need to know? Is it going to be a class? Is it going to be a read a theology book or just a book? Or is it going to be, you know, a one-on-one time with somebody? And I think for smaller churches, the danger is that we we never do this. We never do anything the same way twice, right? Like, because it's so small and organic. If somebody gets saved, you know, this Sunday, I might think of a new idea and just implement it because there's no system I have to follow. It's just me. 
And then so the danger of that is I never kind of see, man, maybe this is effective or not effective. Um, and so, you know, I kind of just do things differently every time. And I think that can be the, that can be a flaw in smaller churches that we never systematize anything. So we never get the chance to go, oh, you know what? This is actually not a good idea or this was a great idea and I only did it once. And then I just kind of abandon it. So, I mean, that, that's my take on it. I think with smaller churches, you got to watch out for that. Going back to that conversation, when when Andrew brought up the whole worship team issue, you know, we have a culture where, like, on the onset, if you join the worship team, we will schedule you to be, you know, leading on these Sundays, whether it's once a month, twice a month, sometimes more, sometimes less. Um, and so there's this culture that's already happened here where, like, the worship is expected that you're not going to lead every Sunday, but like, that's a very hard thing to change at a church that as, as Andrew said, there's a team of eight people that's been leading together since before he got there. And, and I think, I think um, there's this perception that like systems and, and, and uh, what was that? You, you mentioned it, Jeff, and I forgot the name of it, but I use it every single day. A planning center has um, workflows. Where you, workflows. That's what it is. Like, like, there's something there's this idea that like workflows and systems kind of dehumanize a church and kind yeah. of like make it impersonal. But like if I were to leave this church tomorrow and go to a church of like 200 people, I'm going to apply so many of these systems and workflows in that because I like all this stuff is the purpose of all these systems and workflows is for efficiency so that you are freed up to do more pastoral work, right? To be able to, to be able to be with your people. At least that's my hope. All I have to say is, but the, um, the unwritten the unwritten rules that are present in smaller churches, like you said, it can be harder to change. Yeah, you know, for sure. It, because well, we've this is because it, it ends up being like it goes to the other shadow side of taking things too personal, where it's like yeah. nothing. The no critique can be without. Is this because you don't like me? It's like yeah. no, I. This has nothing to do with whether or not I like you or not. It's just. We want to have a rotation so more people can be on this. But we've all we've been doing this this way for years and we love it. And so we shouldn't change it. And and that's the small church thing that can be can be its own difficulty. Yeah, that's good. Well, uh, this was a good discussion on uh, the process of new believers. And and, and I think so far, um, I, I feel like I can add some stuff to my packet right now. Hey, uh, with that said, uh, we are are still reveling in the joy of what was the practically pastoring conference some of the new relationships that were made it was it was still so fun and lord willing we'll be able to uh to announce some sort of dates and and things like that in the coming weeks and months but uh but already just know that like just block out the whole month of february and uh and and just to be safe and and and, and plan on being in florida sometime in february because it's going to be a good time uh with that said we'll be here next week join us on instagram join us in the facebook group and if you have any questions or want to contribute more to the podcast in our facebook group drop in those questions give us your thoughts if you think that that article was cherry picking let us know if you think that uh that uh i post my sermons too many too much online let me hear about that i want we want to hear your feedback you can also leave us a voicemail if you want that's in the uh, practicallypastoring.com you can do that but we'll be here next week and until next time I'm Frank Gill I'm Jeff Simpson I'm Delmar Pete I'm Andrew Larson and I'm Timothy Miller we'll see you next week bye
Thanks for listening. Get connected to other pastors by joining the Practically Pastoring Facebook group, where we get to share ideas and make each other better.